So tonight we're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew. If you have a Bible with you, you're welcome to take it out and open it. If you have a Bible on a mobile handheld device, you can use that too. The text for tonight is also going to be projected on the wall right here, so you can just read along on the wall if you would like. If you don't have a Bible and would like one, there's a stack of them out on the welcome table that we would love for you to take one of. Take two. Give one to a friend. Uh, We'd love for you to take a Bible and make it your own and read it. And uh, tonight we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. And I'm going to read verses 25 through 30. So the chapter is the big number there on the page, 11, and the, the little verses, the little numbers in the middle of the text are the verses. So 11, 25 through 30. We believe that Christ Church, that the Bible is uh, written ultimately by God, and therefore it's authoritative. And so we uh, would encourage you to give it your attention, to pay close attention to it, and to ask God to reveal himself to you tonight through this portion of the scriptures. So let's read together. Actually, I'll read, you listen, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump in. So hear God's word for you. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray and ask God to help us understand this part of the Bible rightly. Please join me. Father, tonight we come again and hear these words that have been recorded for us and preserved now for 2,000 years, these words from Jesus of Nazareth, whom Christians around the world profess to be both fully God and fully man, the eternal Son of God, who came down from heaven to save people like us, people who don't have it all together, people who have needs, people who are weary and heavy laden. Father, tonight we ask that as we listen to these words from Jesus and ponder them together in our hearts and in our heads, that you would do good spiritual work on us. Lord, tonight some of us come here from physician, just of uh, tired, weary, worn down, overloaded and burdened after another long week and another long week to come. Some of us tonight, God, come feeling really pretty good, pretty excited, happy, content. Some of us tonight, God, perhaps are here doubting, wondering if this religion thing is for us, wondering if the Bible has anything relevant for the modern world. Some of us tonight, God, here are... We're just struggling with the day-to-day things that life requires of us. Oh, God, each week when we come here, we come from so many different places, emotionally and spiritually and psychologically. And so we ask tonight, God, that you would come and meet with us, no matter where we're coming from, and that you would, by your sovereign power, remind us and help us to believe what is true. Help us to believe that you are good and you made us good, but because of our rebellion, we are such a, a mishmash of both good and bad, of both gloriously beautiful and desperately broken. And help us to remember also, God, that even in our brokenness and our fallenness and our desire to put ourselves first in our lives, you still love us. You are a God who 
comes and pursues people who are running away from you and not a God who waits for people to get their religious stuff together and come to you. God, we, we thank you that you pursue us by your grace and we ask that you would do that tonight and help us to be people who are able to rest and to be content in who you are and in what you have done for us. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The theme for tonight is the idea of rest. We all need rest. Spiritual, holistic rest. Some of you probably sleep really well at night, and some of you might struggle to sleep well. Lately, for probably the first time in my life, I've been struggling to sleep well consistently through the night, and uh, I've thought a little bit and read a little bit even this week. I was looking at how sleep works, and the idea of REM sleep is something that came up again and again and again, and apparently that's like the, the special deep sleep that makes you like really feel good and rested in the morning, and you need a certain amount of it every night if you're going to sleep well. So say if you sleep like nine hours but don't get any REM sleep, you're still going to wake up and feel exhausted. The REM sleep which I think, by the way, is who the band named themselves after. Um, the REM sleep is, is the sleep that's the most important thing. It's the sleep that's really going to make you feel rested and ready to go when you wake up in the morning. All of us, according to the Christian faith, according to the scriptures, need, we need a spiritual REM rest. We need to be able to, to gain the sort of rest, the sort of contentment for our whole persons, physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually, so that each day when we rise, we're able to go through the things that God has called us to do, and we're able to go through those things with some sense of inner quiet and peace and contentment with, with rest. You know, we've been talking for the last few weeks now about um, the idea of the everyday gospel. That's what we're calling this series. And our big idea at Christ Church, the main part of our mission and our vision is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, changes everything. And so what we're asking ourselves again and again in this short series is, how does the gospel, how does following Jesus and believing the gospel make a difference in like the real things of our lives, the normal, the, the everyday And so we've looked at ideas like work and marriage and money and health. And tonight we want to talk about the everyday issue of rest. So what do I mean when I talk about rest? Well, I don't just mean physical rest like getting enough sleep. Although that is certainly something that's really, really important. In fact, I think it's one of the most spiritual things you can do is get a good night's sleep and be physically well-rested. But what I really want to focus on tonight is the idea of, of rest for our whole self. The idea of gaining emotional and spiritual rest. Maybe the idea of contentment or tranquility or serenity on the inside and the outside is the better way to think about what I want to get at tonight. And really, all of those things are intertwined. You can't really be physically rested if you're not emotionally and spiritually rested, and vice versa. And so we want to think tonight about how the gospel, the core, the good news of Christianity, makes any difference in in your ability and in my ability to rest well, to feel content, to feel a state of calm and quiet, even when our life is consumed with busyness, all around. What does that look like? 
Well, the main idea that I want to prevent, uh, I want to not prevent you from understanding, I want you to understand very well, I want to propose is this. The gospel does provide rest for the weary and for the burdened. And I want to use these famous words from Jesus himself to think about that idea tonight. And really, as we look at this text, there's three things I want to show you, okay? First, I want you to see that everyone needs rest. Second, Jesus offers rest. And then third, we want to talk about how to get rest. Everyone needs rest. Jesus offers rest. How to get rest. You ready? Okay, even if you're not, we're going. So catch up. Here we go. First, everyone needs rest. Look at what Jesus says here. Really, verses 28, 29, and 30 are what I want to focus on. He says, come to me all who, what? Labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, if you want to study Matthew's gospel and look at people who have spent their lives studying this gospel and written commentaries about it, you'll find all sorts of debate in this passage about who exactly Jesus is speaking to here when he says, come to me, you people who are weary, you people who are heavy laden. Is he talking about the religious or the irreligious? Is he talking about the people that loved him or the people that hated him? Is he talking about grown-ups or children, slaves or masters? Who is he talking about? You know, it's a great example of sometimes people that study the Bible for a living make it a lot more complicated than it needs to be. I think the bottom line is that Jesus is speaking here universally. He is speaking to all of you, no matter where you're from, no matter what you believe, no matter what's happened in your life in the last week. Jesus is here to tell you tonight that you need rest. Think about that in your own life for just a minute. Just do a thought exercise with me. How are you heavy laden? What in your life right now would you say you're laboring and working towards or for? Ask yourself, what is it that's exhausting me? What rat race am I in, you know, that seems inescapable? You know, Maybe for you, you're just laboring just to make ends meet, you know, just just to get through your day. From the time you get up to the time you go to sleep takes all of your energy. Like it saps 99.5% of your strength. Like if you were like an iPhone and you had the energy bar at the top of your head right here, it would be like in the red at the end of every day. Just getting through the day is exhausting. You know, that's how I felt a couple of times this week. In particular on Wednesday, you know, Wednesday was kind of a blur, but it was one of those days where I I got up really early, got up about five o'clock, and I got going. We have our Wednesday morning Bible study at six. You should all come to that. It's a great time for you men. But I was there. I was a little tired. We went through that, and I was just go, 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 go all day through coming home and through eating dinner. And finally, we got the last kid in bed at about 8, 8 8.15, and noticed not asleep, just in bed, and you know, we locked the door. You're not coming out. We didn't really lock the door. Close. And we came downstairs. Marianne and I came downstairs, and it's like 8.15, 8.30, and we're both just spent. And I look at the living room, and, and I see a, you know, a Mount Everest of laundry. And, and, and then I see like a, a sink full of, of dishes. And I think, Marianne just looked at me, and we're like, it never ends. We were beat. We were just worn out. Maybe that's how you feel. You're just exhausted trying to make it through the normals of your day. Maybe it's more or something different for you. Maybe you're laboring to, uh, to measure up. 
or to achieve. There's a lot more to attaining true rest than just to physically recuperate from from the norms of your day, although that's certainly an important part of it. Some of you might just be heavy laden and burdened with with the constant pressure pressure to, to achieve, to perform, to do what you're supposed to do or what you feel driven to do. So that even when you're, quote, not working, you're still working. Even when your mind is supposed to be relaxed, you're not relaxed. You just can't turn it off. You're always go, 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 go. There's a great article written a number of years ago in the New York Times Magazine by a Jewish woman named Judith Shudovitz. And this article is called Bring Back the Sabbath. And it's a great article. I want to just read you one short portion of it. Here's something she said that struck me for this point. She writes, most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do to stop working is not work. The inventors of the Sabbath understood that it was a much more complicated undertaking. You cannot downshift casually and easily the way you might slip into bed at the end of a long day. As the cat in the hat says, it is fun to have fun, but you have to know how. That is why the Puritan and the Jewish Sabbaths were so exactingly intentional, requiring extensive advanced preparation. At the very least, a scrubbed house, a full larder, and a bath. The rules did not exist to torture the faithful. They were meant to communicate the insight that interrupting the ceaseless round of striving requires a surprisingly strenuous act of will, one that has to be bolstered by a habit as well as by social sanction. I thought that was so good. You ever feel that way? That even when you're not at work, you're still working? Perhaps the reason is because you can't rest because you always feel this need to achieve, to measure up, to succeed. Maybe you feel like you never met the expectations that your dad had for you. Maybe you feel like it's harder for you in your particular career path than it is for others. And so you have to put in extra hours just to keep up. Maybe you feel like you're in a, you're in a constant comparison competition. And as C.S. Lewis wrote, you're not just out to have, but you're out to have more than the person next to you. You're not just out to succeed, you're out to succeed more than your colleagues. You want to achieve, you want to succeed, you want to measure up, and it is grinding you down. One dirty little secret is uh, that a particular profession that struggles deeply with that sort of lack of rest and laboring is, is ministers. I was talking with a pastor friend recently, and uh, he was telling me about this annual retreat that he goes on with other pastors and colleagues, the point of which is for him to rest, for him to recuperate, for him to feel nourished and refreshed. But he was telling me that he just hates going. And the reason why, you can imagine, is that you show up with all these other pastors, and uh, it becomes a comparison game really, really quickly. So how many people do you have in church Sunday? What are you preaching on? What sort of ministries are going on in your church? And he would just leave just distraught and beaten down and feel like, man, I'm never going to measure up. Maybe that's how you feel. You're laboring to achieve. You're laboring to be somebody. Maybe you're laboring to find acceptance. Maybe you, you don't want to have any conflict in your life ever. 
You long for just everyone to be happy and to serve people and to make people feel good. And you want your family to be one big happy family, like the kind of family that could appear on a Hallmark card. And so you're working, 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 striving, 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 laboring, laboring, laboring to make that happen. And it's not happening because that's a fallacy. And, and you're getting destroyed. You're worn down trying to please everybody else. Maybe you're trying to get into to the religious club that you've thought your entire life it means to be, to be a good person, you need to be a member of it. Maybe you're trying to, to measure up or to be accepted by the church community, by appearing to be holy and godly, by doing your spiritual disciplines, by showing up to church, and every now and then giving a good answer in Sunday school. No matter what it is in your life, Jesus wants us to hear that in some way we are all laboring. We are all in need of rest. There's a word that the Bible uses again and again and again for people who are on these perpetual treadmills. And the word is slavery. Listen, to find true rest and contentment in your life is an act of liberation. Everyone needs it. Secondly, Jesus offers it. Look what he says. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He did not stutter there. He seems to be pretty certain that what he promises he can put forth. He says he will bring rest. He will give you the sense of deep inner peace, calm and contentment that you're searching for and striving for him in all the other areas of your life and not finding. Something about this text has always confused me. And until I really studied it this week, I don't think I've ever really understood what he says. I'll tell you what confuses me about this text. And maybe it's confused you as well or confused you just tonight when I read it. Jesus says here that he will give us rest. And then the very next thing he talks about is a yoke. A burden. And moreover, he says, my burden is light. How can Jesus both in the same breath promise to really give you rest and then tell you that you're going to come under his yoke? It's weird. It's counterintuitive. If you don't know what a yoke is, a a yoke is a, a device that you would put on an ox. I guess farmers today still do that. And the ox would haul around, you know, the farm equipment like to till the field or whatever. The yoke is what enabled the ox to pull the heavy piece of farm equipment so the work could get done. And interestingly enough, in the ancient world, yoke was also a metaphor or an image that was used of a Jewish rabbi who would take disciples or who would take people who were going to be his students. It was said that they were putting on the yoke of their master or their rabbi. And what Jesus is saying here is that he offers you rest, but he only offers rest to those who are willing to be burdened under his lordship. You see that? He says, I will give you rest. Then the very next thing is a a command, an imperative. Take my yoke upon you. And I think I finally had a breakthrough this week as I thought about this. And here's the breakthrough. All of us are under some kind of yoke. All of us are serving some kind of master. The only Yoke, the only master, the only service that's going to lead finally to contentment, to peace, and to rest is servanthood to Jesus. 
You see, only Jesus is able to say, when you become my servant, when you take my yoke, you will rest because I am gentle and lowly and my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, what Jesus is saying here is that he offers rest, but in order to receive the rest he offers, you must must make him the centerpiece of your entire life instead of yourself. And really think about those things we just mentioned in the previous point. What are our deepest problems in being weary and heavy laden? They're that we are pursuing things that are never really going to give what we want them to give us. You know, if you're heavy laden and burdened with trying to achieve and trying to measure up, you're, you're really trying to find rest and contentment and peace through achievement or through success or through power or through money. That's a bad yoke to bear. It's burdensome. If you're trying to find rest by making everybody happy all the time and by avoiding conflict and by being codependent in all sorts of relationships, then you're trying to find rest by being a people pleaser. And it's going to wear you out. It's burdensome. If you're just worn out at the end of every day, because you feel like you have to check everything off of your list and achieve just to function. You're worn out because your yoke is the idea that everything has to get done every day for me to be happy. All of us are under some yoke. All of us are serving someone, as Bob Dylan said. Jesus here is saying the only master that you can serve that's finally going to let you rest is me. I am the one to whom you must harness a yoke. And when you're following me, when you're obeying me, when you're living life in light of my law, then you will find contentment. Then you will find the true soul rest that your heart longs for. Now think about our solar system. Sort of a random jump. Bear with me. You know, all these planets, these huge rocks, rotate in outer space around a huge ball of gas, right? The sun. And uh, I've always been, I'm not a scientist, as just became evident in those last two sentences. Um, But I've always been fascinated by the idea of of space and and the solar system and and how all that stuff works. And it's amazing, you know, that, that there's never any collisions, Like you would think at some point in the last however many years, um, Neptune and Pluto are going to collide or someone's going to go a little bit off course. But no, they all rotate in perfect proximity around the sun. And that only works as long as the sun remains the centerpiece. If the planets begin to rotate around an asteroid field or around a moon or around one of the other planets, things are going to go haywire quickly. It's the same with our lives. Only when our lives in all of its various elements are rotating around the centerpiece that is Jesus Christ do we achieve and attain the rest that Jesus calls us to here. Very, very, very easy for me to stand up here and say, much, much, much harder for me and for you to do. So thirdly, how do you get it? Everyone needs rest. Jesus offers it to us. How do we get it? What needs to be done? Well, Jesus gives us a hint. He says, first, come. Come to me. Come to me. But what exactly does that mean or look like? Jesus is, he's 
beckoning us to him. He's calling us to him. He longs for us to come to him, to find the only satisfaction that our souls will ever find, to find the only rest, contentment, and peace that our hearts long for. But what does that look like? How do we do it? I think the hint is seen in the prior verses. There Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Little children. To come to Jesus and attain the rest that he offers requires you becoming a little child. Becoming a little child. Conversion experiencing new life, being a Christian, those are all metaphors for the same thing. The way you get the rest that Jesus offers is when you become, in a way, childish. Now, what about a child should you seek to emulate if you want to get rest? I mean, what are children like? Oftentimes, in religious settings, when I ask that question, the first answer almost always that I get is, well, children are innocent. And that is usually an answer from a young person who does not have children. And let me just break, children are not innocent. You do not become innocent to get the rest of Jesus. That's not what children are like. Listen, you don't have to teach your kids to deceive you when they've done something bad. You don't have to teach your kids to be selfish. You don't have to teach your kids these things. And the reason is because your, your kids are affected by the brokenness of this world, just like you are. Innocence is not the aspect of children that Jesus wants you to emulate. Rather, Jesus would like you to become like a child in the sense that you are aware of your need. You ever think about that with a kid? I mean, of all the people on this earth, kids, better than anyone, know that they can't handle life on their own. I mean, my kids all the time ask me for help. They say, Dad, can you get the knife for me? And I'm like, no, I'm not getting you a knife, maybe a spoon. They'll say, Dad, would you tie my shoes? I mean, they couldn't get out of the house, and I wouldn't want them to get out of the house without my help, because soon they're going to be in the street. They know that they have need. They're able to recognize that they don't have it all together. They know that they're dependent on someone else. If you're going to get the rest Jesus calls us to and offers us, you must become like a child in that you must know your need. But I think there's more. You also have to know that your father loves you. You know, isn't that one of the amazing things about kids? And just, just this week, you know, Ben, my, my two-and-a-half-year-old, I can still use sermon illustrations about him because it's not going to scar him because he's not sitting right here. But he, uh, he's had a couple, you know, he's a two-and-a-half-year-old who wants his own way and is exploring the world. And if you turn around for three seconds and turn back, he's destroyed the three things that you just put together. And he wears you out, man. And at the end of the day, He's made a mess of the whole house. He's destroyed the shoes that I just put in the closet. He's taken my backpack and thrown it everywhere. And I'm like, Ben, would you just stop? Stop moving. And he comes up to me and he goes, Daddy, would you hold me? Yeah, sure. He does that completely without flinching. There's not a trace of irony in what he says. And the reason is because he knows that I love him. He's he's so... He's so unaware of the idea 
that he would not be received by his mom or by his dad, that it hasn't even crossed his mind. You know, for some of you, you're probably here tonight, and you're able to say, I recognize that I have need. I know I'm dependent. God help me. I can't get my act together. I'm a mess. But you haven't yet taken that second step of being able to say to yourself and to others, not only do I have need like a little child, but I know that my father loves me. Like my child knows that I love him. And in fact, I know that my heavenly father, God, the creator and the sustainer of this universe, loves me so much more than the best earthly father could ever love. When you're able to see and believe that, you're able to enter into the rest that Jesus offers. Perhaps you understand your need, but you doubt God's love. Maybe it's because your earthly father didn't love you. Maybe it's because you have all sorts of emotional issues deep beneath the surface that make you ashamed and guilty and wonder if everyone, if they really, anyone, if they really knew who you really were, could ever accept you. Those are all completely normal aspects of the human experience. And those are the reasons why the gospel is such good news. God knows you better than you know yourself and still loves you with an infinite, undying depth. And if you don't believe that, you can never enter the rest that Jesus offers. If you don't believe that, you haven't yet seen how God proves to you his love. You see, God loves you so much that he sent his son out of perfect rest, out of utter contentment, out of complete peace into this broken world to be betrayed, to suffer, to be tormented on a cross, to have his blood spilt for human sin to breathe one last breath, cry out, Father, it is finished, and die. God sent Jesus into into cosmic restlessness so that you, who have run from him your entire lives, can come when he calls you and experience rest, contentment, peace. The way you know that God loves you and will receive you and give you rest. And the only way to actually get the rest he offers is when you see the length that God was willing to go to to make sure that you can be content one day. He was willing to make Jesus discontent for your contentment. He was willing to send his son into the desert so you can live in the garden. He was willing to turn his back on Jesus, the innocent one, so that he will never again have to turn his back on you who are guilty. When you believe that, the good news, the gospel, and when you get that Jesus does that for you, not because you deserved it or earned it, not because you're more religious or righteous than the person next to you. No, he does that for you because he is gracious. Get that. 
And life throws you a few curveballs. When you get that and you wake up on Monday and you feel like you're in the middle of a hornet's nest. When you get that and you wake up and aren't sure what you're going to do that day, if the bills are going to overwhelm you, if your wife or husband is going to leave, if your kids are going to ever come back. When you get the gospel, you can rest in the midst of all of life's storms. Because at the end of the day, if God is for you, who can be against you? And he is for you. In Jesus. If you believe that news, if you embrace it by faith, you can get the rest he calls you to. There's an old hymn written by a a man named Joseph Hart. It's called Come Ye Sinners. And uh, I love the hymn. One of the stanzas I think is very fitting for Matthew chapter 11. So I just want to read it for you and we'll conclude with this. Here's what the song says. Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you wait till you're better, you'll never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous sinners, Jesus came to call. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you call sinners. We thank you that you look upon the state of this world and you don't leave it in disarray, but you enter into it and you bring healing, you bring renewal, you bring peace and rest. And Father, you've done that through Jesus' life and death and resurrection. You do it freely. You don't wait for us to earn it. You give it to us freely, God. And Father, we pray that we would receive it by faith tonight. And we also pray that you would help us, who have believed for many, many years, to believe again and to see and experience the rest and the contentment and the peace that you bring. For our lives are so hectic, God. So help us, please. Lord, we love you and we ask for you to come and help us have ears to hear and eyes to see the good news of the gospel. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.